What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, 800 episodes old and it feels like the first time. It's Andy Greenwald! Isn't this episode 804? It is. It is technically a belated 800th episode it, celebration. It's my 800th episode because I missed three. That's the only amount you think you missed? <laughs> only three. Remember when you made Briar Patch? Nope. Never talk about um, this it. This is nope. my 804th episode. It's it's also they don't count unless you're there. That's not it's your 803rd because you defiantly missed the succession finale. No, oh, that's right. I tried. <laughs> that's the only one. I tried one. calling him from the streets of Paris and you guys wouldn't <laughs> have me. It's the only um, one you missed. Andy, it's great to see you. Uh it's great to be here on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. You can feel a little pep in Los Angeles' step. Yeah. Hollywood is back. Merry <laughs> yeah. Christmas. The strike is over. Last night Sort of in the mid 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 evening, I guess. It was like four forty five p.m. As I was watching Sixers Celtics, we get across the. the Did they play? <laughs> Did the Sixers beat the greatest starting lineup of the twentieth twenty first century? Sir, <laughs> amazing. Uh, so yeah, the SAG and uh, the studios came to uh, an agreement, yeah. and as of midnight on Thursday, twelve oh one on Thursday, so the this actors morning. were back to work. So I really enjoyed watching. Zach Efron and Harris Dickinson being informed in real time that the strike was over. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was parties. Heads were out at Sunset Tower last night. Do you know, I know you know because you're a big history guy, like when Prohibition ended and like people were like sabering champagne in the streets and yeah. it just the liquor was flowing. Yes. That's what it was like on Instagram this morning when suddenly everyone could promote projects that they've not promoted for six months. I'm in Dune Part 2! <laughs> no, for real, though. And that really sucks, though, because, like, Dune... I mean, they would have needed to have promoted Dune, but this was... Dune Weekend was last weekend and Shalomay's yeah. on SNL. Yeah, but he's there to promote his fashion yes. line. Yes, well, now he can walk out there and be like, I'm Willy Wonka, bitch. But, <laughs> like... <laughs> That's how he should say it. That's my line read for Tim. That was good. Uh, you know, I know he's been out of practice with the strikes. Uh, today on The Watch, we're going to do uh, a belated 800th episode yeah. mailbag. And then here's what's going to happen next week. Monday, we're going to do uh, the Loki season finale and the season premiere of The Curse. Yep. So that's your weekend watching assignments. Uh, there will be other Curse content and Loki content you can mm-hmm. you can hit up, but you can you can only get our our brand of weathered cynicism in one place. And then uh, that stuff, you can find that on Prestige TV and Ringerverse and House of R. And then Rob Harvillo is going to join mm-hmm. next Monday to talk about his book version of 60 Songs that Explain the 90s. I am also going to be doing a live show with Rob yeah. and Yasi from Bandsplain next week at the Terragram. On your birthday eve. Birthday eve, yeah. 
And then uh, also next week, we will probably be discussing at various points a murder at the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think Monarch? Monarch's coming out f- next Friday. So okay. that might wait a week. But there's okay. also uh, The Killer is hitting Netflix. I, which, I, which I would consider, seriously consider, possibly my most my favorite movie of the year. I'm so excited about that. Um, and then there's also your second favorite movie of the year opening uh, tonight, The Marvels, yeah. which we will be addressing yeah. when the time is right. Okay. Um, I so, believe the judge in the New York case has issued a gag order on us. <laughs> With that dude, Engeron? But, yes. uh, what's his name? What's that judge's name who's doing Trump? Something like that. And they just, just are like yelling, you motherfucker, at each other <laughs> yeah, in it's, court. It's cool. You can say lots of stuff now in court. Like on TV, <laughs> you can just say stuff now. Yeah. For years, yeah. we operated under this fiction in this that country. That might have been like couldn't... the first mf I've dropped on this podcast. I was shocked. Yeah. Kaya, Kaya's back in Indeed. Kaya's in a different generation. <laughs> she's she's used to working blue. Uh, Should we talk strike briefly? Yeah, sure. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm thrilled. It's exciting. It, it was is, yeah. it was darkest before the dawn. It was truly like I was like, man, this is going to be really really bad. Not bad like the union needed to cave and right. go back early, but I was just like, if if they just say, hey, Thanksgiving's here, so we'll see you guys in January. It's it's just going to feel fucking dark. I just didn't. I mean, it's easy to say this now. I don't think that was... I just don't see how anyone could have done that. I think that you do begin... When you're a veteran, you know, of labor movements like I am, you know, having been through um, one uh, recently, there are clearly some patterns that you can begin to recognize. Like, when when the two sides sit down and start talking and keep talking... Yes, and not do the two-week break in between talks. Do you want to do the... You're in the end game now. So. You're, in the, you're in the great game. But the end, but the end game. The end game. But, but do yes. it in a Thanos voice. No? Oh, do, can I do that? Have I done that before? No, I'm just free pitching <laughs> you ideas now. Okay. Um, so that seemed clear. Um, the AMPTP could posture all they want about, you know, uh, absolute deal breakers, walk away points or whatever. But what were they going to do? Who were they going to populate their movies and TV shows with if not actors? So... It does seem like a deal was inevitable. I was listening to SAG-AFTRA's chief negotiator, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, on Matt Bellany's podcast this morning. Mm-hmm. The town, um, the on town, the podcast network. It seems like they got it to where they needed to get it. You know, we'll see the details over the next few weeks. I think it's interesting and notable, and honestly, of a piece with the tenor of this podcast over the last few weeks, that the general response to the conclusion of what has been uh, six months of work stoppage in Hollywood has been let's say, muted. Um, what do you mean? We'll see what happens over the next um, months and, and years. But I think in the gap between um, the WGA deal and the SAG deal last night, the the overstory has sort of baked in that um, these are great gains for the members of the union that will be able to... Get it in the great gain now. So <laughs> oh, they- that's good. See, <laughs> God, that was good. Um they will be able to take advantage of them, but we are in the midst of a great contraction that um, was starting before these things, before the strikes launched. And who knows that there's going to be less stuff. Yeah. And people, and and not only that, there is a, there are very, very, very crowded runways right now. So, you know, from my own experience in the SAGs, I mean, on the WGA stuff, development is back in full swing, but it is a little Hunger Gamesy. Yeah, right. Like, not just in terms of uh, what's going to get even onto the flight schedule, considering how much stuff has been pushed, stuff that was supposed to be starting filming greenlit already, but is now being pushed into the new year, but also just like 
there's a lot of the vibes are a lot of a lot less. I'm going to um, sell my original idea and get an overall deal and become the next David Chase or Matt Weiner, and more like, could I please be the number two on the third season of a show? Right, kind of vibes. There's nothing wrong with being anything on a show, a right. returning show. But I do think that the um, the margins are shifting in real time, and we're going to figure out what that feels like. Speaking of your original ideas, hmm. uh, any anyone's original ideas, this was a headline last night on Deadline as I was as I was settling in to watch Survivor and turning off my internet for the evening. Uh, Deadpool three, Gladiator hmm. two, Beetlejuice two, Juror number two, Venom three, among film productions to restart ASAP as Hollywood returns. Wow, Hollywood is back, <laughs> <Yeah>. baby. <laughs> Our best and brightest. I'm surprised juror number two is not like completely locked. Like Clint Eastwood's usually like, I need two days. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I I think they probably unplugged his Vitamix and right. that's the thing he needs most in the morning. I thought when you were saying that you were watching Survivor, I thought you meant the fourth quarter of Sixers Celtics. I wasn't, I was never stressed out about that, Andy. It's fucking November. I am not going to be stressed out about the Sixers. <laughs> Look, you, I don't have league pass. So I wasn't watching the game. You were following on ESPN Gamecast and my, my But then I was driving. Uh, right. And then I was getting texts from you and from our, our buddy Zach. But you still weigh in as if you're watching. Well, Seems because, like they're going to blow it. And it's just because like, Zach, <laughs> Zach was like not liking our fourth quarter yeah, offense. Yeah, but Embiid was sitting. Like I was like, this is, we just have to the weather content. the Embiid moments. That's all we got to do. Yeah, but also you were probably starting Derek White in fantasy. <laughs> I was starting Derek White. See, in fantasy. Did you know? unbelievable. <laughs> Look, it's this... a, it's a, it's a, there's there's a, many ways to live in this world. Uh huh. Okay, and I think we're gonna get to the core of those questions. There's living out loud, yeah. like I do, and there's living in a perpetual fan duel, like <laughs> well, you do. I maybe read I read Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy too many times, <laughs> and that's why I just have tons of Cowboys and Celtics on my fantasy teams. Unbelievable. Look, he's a, he's an effective guard. You know, uh, Jamal Murray got hurt. I had to do what I had to do. Uh, Andy, let's get into our mailbag questions. Thanks to all oh, of our uh, listeners or even just looky-loos who are like, ooh, I can submit a mailbag question? I don't listen to that pod. But thank you to all of our <laughs> Could listeners. Could you tell the people that did that? Uh, no, I think these are pretty okay. pretty on the, on the nose, actually. The usual, mm. uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody who listens to The Watch and has been listening to The Watch for a long time or to new listeners. It's... Still, the great pleasure of my professional life uh-huh. is to to come in here twice a week with Kaya. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and then record the rewatchables. And then in your downtime, crack up Poland Springs and talk to your old pal. This is, this is Arrowhead, baby. No free ads. Yeah, well, I'm just saying what it is. I okay. mean, I'm just being accurate. My it, reportage. Was Poland Springs canceled? You no. You were really quick uh, to defend a, yourself. That's an East Coast thing. Oh, it is? Yeah. I would, I would be drinking Poland Spring every day if they had it out here. <laughs> Why? Because uh, it's so good? Yeah. Don't you have like preferences in bottled water? No. <laughs> oh my God. I have preference in anything else. Are you serious? Yes. You know that, well, I'm not going to say in case anybody right. wants to get involved with the watches on the on the advertising <laughs> side, but let me just say I have preferences. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're not expensive. Right. I, I'm actually, I just have like a, a defined palette when it comes to bottled water. Actually, Kaya and I are proud that we don't have defined palettes because we carry our own uh, reusable water bottles sure. wherever we go. You guys are the paragons of... of now, <laughs> mine's full of Fiji water <laughs> imported from as far away as yeah. humanly possible. Kaya, Kaya has the last drops of the Colorado River in her. <laughs> She's drinking very slowly uh, and respectfully. Do you think we should have an 800 listener club like people who have... Remember like the eight hundred club, the five the the five timers club on Saturday Night Live, like people who have listened to every episode of the podcast. 
Yeah, I mean, that would be a very... I, I almost feel like if you could somehow prove that, you should be able to be a guest on the show one day. Okay, but I agree. We should come we'll up with that. We'll figure out a, a metric for that. Anyway, thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to Kaya for producing us. Uh, it's always it's always just a real thrill. Are you leaving? It seems like you're wrapping no, up. No, I was just trying to be like sentimental and like <laughs> oh. like appreciate people. Um, I do appreciate That being too. said... The first two questions are about whether or not you and I still have the, the juice to do this show <laughs> and whether or not we like TV enough. Yeah. So uh, first two questions. One comes from Kirk Henderson uh, on Twitter. Kirk Serious Face, long, long, I think a longtime listener, and, and I, I like Kirk a lot. What is the current definition of pop culture if monoculture is dead? I ask because it's a pop culture pod and y'all have been very frustrated with the state of TV for a while now. And a kind of tie into that Nathan Knowles asks, do you ever feel burnt out on the medium entirely? And I assume he is talking about TV and not podcasting. Right. I, you can only be burnt out on one. At, at podcasting a is a vibrant art form. Yeah. I feel good about it. So I put these two together because I think you could take a small sample size of the last few weeks of the show and be like, man, these guys sound like they're short-timing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not the case. I went back and you know what? Look, we were doing cartwheels about various shows as recently as July, August. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, we were still running on fumes from the bear. There was an incredible early part of the year. I think I had like a 12, 15, 20 sh long list show of like, yeah. these could all be in the contention we, for the top 10. We had Succession and Barry running back to back yeah. for a bunch of weeks. We, we've had a really good time. And, and, in, and in some ways, I think that we have been very lucky over the last, uh, 10, 11 years of podcasting in general, but the watch in, in specifically mm -hmm. of, of benefiting from a really awesome time in television where it's pretty rare that there's not something on that we're like both very locked in on and watching. Yeah. So this last few months have been a little bit of an anomaly and they just so happen to correspond with the labor stoppages, mm -hmm. which I don't think is a coincidence. I think whether it's uh, just an anecdotal feeling of kind of not despair, but like a little bit of depression about the about the mm -hmm. sort of pop culture industry. And then also like some shows getting moved. You know, we should have had True Detective by now. Like some shows getting kicked down the road a little bit because they couldn't be properly promoted. The same thing for some of the summer movies and some of the fall movies. I think that that contributed a little bit to it. And I also think, well, I have like a longer answer about the medium of television, but I, yeah. I don't know if you want to chime in here about anything. Yeah, before we turn to the TV thing in specific, I thought I was I was taken with the idea of what is pop culture at this moment. Okay. I don't really have an answer. I feel like we should call our buddy Chuck Klosterman to weigh in because I feel like that's something he's probably thinking about in a much more expansive way than we are. But one of the themes of, if not a sub-theme of this podcast, but a theme of the conversations that we have when I'm not letting you know what's actually happening in the sports game you're watching and I'm not, is this idea of like what, who who is this talking to? What are we talking about? Um, I'm continually struck by the fact that just more and more, and I think this has a lot to do with social media and the way we devour content, it's like everything is just fractured and nothing is speaking to each other. This is gonna, this is foreshadowing a really good question we have later in the podcast about what music we like right now. But I was thinking about how by my, um, from where I'm sitting, 2023 is like the best, best year for shoegaze, maybe <laughs> since 1991. <laughs> 
but parse that sentence Speaking for me. Speaking of fractured pop culture. That's what exactly why I'm saying that, right? Yeah. Because I'm like, oh my God. Like The idea of you being on a soapbox in Hyde Park and being like, shoegaze is <laughs> that's back! The, that's the only place where it would work. I know. That's the only place they would care. I would They're get a like, following. No, I'm saying that doesn't, that so doesn't matter. Bit of tremolo in it. <laughs> is that a pedal in it? Um, no, like, what's that we're going to talk about later? Probably like Hotline TNT. Mm-hmm. Um Drop 19s are back. Uh, Slow Dive is back. These are great records that have absolutely nothing to say about the larger state of the world or about music. Like, you could listen to these records and be like, this is a vibrant scene that is not having a conversation at all with anything else in music. Yeah. And I take there's good and bad to that. The good is that we're getting all of these great things within this one genre for people who really, really like that genre. The bad thing is it's just sort of talking to itself and it's a closed circuit. And I feel like that's a larger problem with culture uh, as a whole. And that kind of bums me out. I also feel, and I, you know, I don't, I don't like to steer into our, our weaknesses because I think they are few. Um, but I assume that there is a vibrant. <laughs> we're just, we're perfectionists. <laughs> we're just so rigorous about getting everything right. Yeah. I assume pop culture or monoculture is just TikTok now I, yeah, I assume that like I, so, and we are not we are not on there. i would be really annoyed if i was 22 and a 45 year old yes. guy was telling me what pop culture was so with that in mind I, I will just say that the biggest observation i was able to pull out of like these two questions kirk's kirk's question specifically but to some extent nathan's question about the medium of television mm-hmm. is that it was easy to to sort of identify what culture was when someone else was identifying it for you. Like who? Well, when we were growing up, we would buy a device. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, like the radio or television, they would tell you what it's on. They would say, here's the show that is on at this time. There was was not this act of um, customization and personal curation that you could do. And even when you were like buying CDs or buying VHS or renting tapes or whatever, like... There was like a physical act and also a transactional act that like went into that that made it a much more, I don't know, like a much more like it, it, like meaningful or intentional. Well, act. it costs something. Yeah, of you course. Had to right. Give your money. Uh, we've to talked. Get the we've thing. joked before about that. Like just sitting there with twenty bucks in your pocket mm-hmm. with four CDs like on a stack and just being like, what? Like trying to use the force to figure out what you will like more mm-hmm. out of these two or three CDs, and then knowing you would have to like sell it back to if you wanted to like get back into the to the black. And you know? if it happened to be thirty years ago today, November 9th, nineteen ninety three, when Enter the Wu Tang and Tribe Called Quest Midnight Marauders <laughs> were released on the same day. What would you do? Wait, wait, so was this train spotting day two? Uh, no, that was 96. 96. Okay. So my point is, when I sit at home now, mm-hmm. it's very different to be like, I have at my fingertips most of the great films of world cinema. Mm-hmm. Every NBA game that's being played tonight. Any television show for the mo- like 90% of television that I want to watch from the last 15 years, mm-hmm. 10 streaming services from the most broad to the most niche specific thing. And I always constantly have to ask myself, like, what am I really in the mood for? And fight off the nagging feeling like I could be doing something more meaningful, like with my time, like watching Criterion movies or yes. something like that. That is like a very modern and a very specific experience that I think we just did not have back then. Also, what's missing from that is the fact that you could be wrong. One thing that was nice about the lack of 
curation and choice was not just the relief of the pressure no, of making like, the decision. This is what's on tonight. It was like I didn't realize I was in the mood for this until I started watching it. Yeah, and it which gr- is the greatest part about me. like movies yeah. on cable is when you're just like, oh, the firm's I, on. Oh, that's great. So it's funny though because your point, which I agree with completely, is the idea that it was that there was there was some benefit to a one way flow. Mm-hmm. I think the. One of the things that I feel is is missing, and, and I think we still struggle to form our conversations around the absence of, is the sense that the formative culture of our lives, all of it was in response to something else. Because it was there was only one bucket. So when we talk about, you know, in at, at the end of high school, getting into like pavement or guided by voices, they sounded that way because the bands on the radio sounded a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the oppositional thing. When we talk about, you know, how exciting it was to discover, um, to see Reservoir Dogs at the Ritz Theater in Philadelphia when it came out, it's because that was not like the movies that were in the other multiplexes yeah. at the time. They were oppositional, they were reactive, they were countercultural because there was one culture to counter. There are still great movies, there's still great records, there's still great TV shows, but the conversations between them seem to be lacking. That said, and maybe this is a way to pivot to TV, um, when you just single out TV, there isn't, we, we've said this in multiple iterations over the years, there is no like vibrant indie TV scene. No. So. I think we had the illusion of it. Yes. Maybe five years ago with like, I May Destroy You and Fleabag in Atlanta, where it felt like those were TV shows that would be on like Matador Records or but, something. But in a way, it is the 90s still in TV in the sense that there was a period in 1994 when Atlantic Records was like, Matador got Liz Fair. We're going to invest in Matador, and some Matador records will also be Atlantic records. Yes. And that is what HBO has tried to make its business model right. for quite some time. So I don't, I don't know if you want to pivot to the other part of the question yeah. about getting Do, burnt out. Are you burnt out on the medium entirely? No. But I, I think it's worth keeping in mind that television is a huge time commitment and that when you are trying to... It's it's always really interesting to talk to Sean and Amanda mm-hmm. about how they kind of do big picture. And I mean, and for as long as I've known him, Sean is is one of the most comprehensive... It's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I think he really is like on a personal and professional mission to see as much new stuff as he possibly can and to make people as excited as possible about movies. And that is a clarity of purpose that I do not have. Mm-hmm. And I think with television, that would inevitably drive you mad because each endeavor that you have is usually like upwards of a five to 10 hour commitment, which Mm -hmm. in and of itself that maybe like is a fraction of life, but is a lot of a week if you have other stuff going on. And I think that there's an act, there's a part of television now that feels very, uh, kind of labor intensive, you know, like, um, part of it is because there's just so much on. So stuff falls through the cracks, Part of it is also like the not untypical experience of like, well, I should give this like three episodes to get its feet. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a long time, man. That's mm-hmm. that's what Killers of the Flower Moon is. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can give a show that starts out shakily three episodes to find its feet, or you can do something else. And I think that it's not uncommon to watch TV critics who watch a ton of TV be very difficult to please, you know, Mm -hmm. because they start to get a little bit more hostile about mediocrity because they know that that mediocrity is still an enormous time commitment on their parts. And that's why sometimes I feel like you can hear a little bit of like, another show that's having a seven-year flashback. 
But also, a lot of that, I totally agree with that, by the way. And it's really funny to think about flipping the conversation. Like, instead of being, instead of saying, wow, I can't believe Martin Scorsese needed three hours to do Killers of the Flower Moon, instead be like, it's three hours, and we still don't know what these bodies are doing in these four time periods in London. Yep. Come on, chop, chop. Yeah. (laughs) Marty just made a grand statement about the Osage in that amount of time. Yeah, I, I think also... Broadly speaking, if I if I may speak for you, I think that, and this is kind of high-minded, I guess, like, I, I think that we continue to be as inspired and exhilarated and engaged by art and creativity and good stuff as we ever have. That's the, one of the reasons why we, we became friends um, the year Kaya was born. But I think um, it's also, and this may seem counter to the purpose of this podcast, at least as it was introduced, but, like, TV is a pretty imperfect vessel for people, like, chasing artistic highs. Mm-hmm. Historically, that's been the case. And again, we're kind of steering into a fallow period. Now, I think that it ends up being kind of a, in some ways, the best of many imperfect options because A, there's a ton of TV and there's a ton of ways to engage with it and a bunch of different ways to try to use it to interpret what works or what doesn't on a just purely aesthetic level. Yeah. But I think that it can be challenging at a time when most of what's being shoveled into the trough is fine or worse right? Um, to hear the same level of enthusiasm in our voices that we might have for a book we read or a New Yorker review of a painting exhibit that we haven't <laughs> seen. Okay, sorry, I'll speak for myself. But, um, but that said, and you know, for whatever relevance it has in this conversation, one of the reasons why I still love working in TV on the other side of it is that um, to be around people who are continually day-to-day turned on by the possibility of problem solving in a script or collaborating on an idea or fixing a story like that's that's still the currency in quote unquote this town mm-hmm. in a way that is pretty unique not and, the town but this town this, yeah but yeah. It, but it's special i think when it's possible yeah. and, and and it's hard to be despite rising cynicism on everything it's it's still amazing that it's a job to sit in a room with smart people and come up with stories like that that still rules even if the end result doesn't always. But then also, look, full circle. The first thing we said when you started answering this question was, every so often then we get the bear. Yep. Now, we are overpraising the bear because it's maybe the best show of this year, and we'll be talking about it again in the next month or two. But we will continue, I think, to point to it because it is what we do this for. Because it came out of nowhere, and it surprised and delighted, and it brought us to it in a way that great art does. And yeah. so it's really... It's fun to still be plugged into uh, plugged into a medium that has that potential any given month. Very well said. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Corey Standridge asks, what genre of TV show would you like to see come back? Mm. I loved Teenage Bounty Hunters and wish we had more teen shows that were more serious than Disney but less crazy than Euphoria. I like that. I like this. We used to hit that sweet spot with Buffy, Dawson's Creek, or the OC, and that's gone now. So I have an answer for this. Did you? 
I did. Okay, you go first. Well, my first response was in response to what Corey said, which is why don't we have teen stuff anymore? And I feel like that's a good hill to not plant a flag on, but like start. I'll bring my, where was I in London where I was talking about shoegaze? I was in Speaker's Corner. Hyde, 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 Hyde Park, Park yeah. yeah. So I bring my box to this island and say like, teen shit isn't cool anymore, said the 46-year-old. <laughs> but I do think there's some legitimacy here, which isn't to say that there aren't 10 shows that I don't even know about because I'm not cool enough to know about them. Yeah, I was going to say this summer but, I turned pretty is a, is, is a pretty big teen sensation right now. I guess what I'm saying is it would be pretty cool, although I understand why it's always hard, to have a show that said, hey, actually, young people aren't just using Instagram filters, but adding their actual faces uh-huh. or, you know, just sort of phony, fake, soap operatic posturing. There's always room for that stuff. That's fun. But like, I was thinking, do you remember the show Betty from a few years ago? It was the skateboarding show. Yeah. It was on HBO. Phenomenal first season. I thought less successful second season and then it went away. But there were, that was a show about young women in New York that felt, again, I am neither a young woman nor do I live in New York anymore, but felt like, oh, this is a different language and it's bringing me into it. And I kind of w- still feel like that's a missed opportunity on TV. I understand why. I mean, most young, quote unquote, young people shows are made by jaded grownups, you know, and, and those shows reflect more either their youth, which is delayed by 10 to 30 years, or just their own current aesthetics and 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 their fears uh, and resentment of actual young people. <laughs> oh, you know what was good for that reason, though? How to blow up a pipeline. Yes. Yeah. That is not the OC. No. But I was like, oh, this seems like, again, from my This seems like a kind vantage closer point. to what it feels like to be this age now. And but be, yeah. Before you pivot to something else that you're missing, Kai, do you, would you like, as a as resident youth expert in the podcast, do you feel like... Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree with Blow Up a Pipeline. I think it, like, accurately captured the anxieties a lot of younger people feel about, like... Climate change. Climate change and, yeah, just how that's all going. Um, it's going great, right? I haven't looked in a while. I'm off Soch. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're literally not reading anything. <laughs> nope. Beyond that... Mm, yeah, I don't know. I guess there is kind of a dearth. You just don't really get... The writing on Summer I Turned Pretty is just, it's bad. And and it feels so, like, glossy, you know? Like, you just, and then Euphoria kind of just goes so far in the other, the other direction. direction. Yeah. I guess there's just not really, like, a happy medium as much anymore. I, but, I mean, I'm also, like, 27. I'm not, a, like, a teen. I, th- I think the other hard, that's true. It's that, <laughs> I, was, I, that I was wish a, I was. That was but... a low-key subtweet at me. But I think, um, we, I think what you're speaking to, Kaya, also points out one of the eternal problems with making like with shows about young people, which is a stakes problem. Mm -hmm. Because if you make a show that sort of reflects the real life day-to-day struggles and what matters most to teens, it they those hopefully those stakes are not the same as they are on Oz or other, you know, uh although you just gave Bill Simmons an idea. I teen (laughs) Oz. Bill Simmons an idea. Casey listens. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, so th- so it's hard to find those stakes that you could just have automatically in a medical show or a cop show or whatever. I think my answer is a little bit less specific to genre and more to formal execution, which is one of the things I really liked about Poker Face is the combination of mystery of the week with the serialized story. Uh, these are things that shows like X-Files and Justified excelled at uh, in years past. Mm-hmm. 
And I kind of miss that a little bit. I miss the sort of uh, the sort of dual option TV show that you can mm-hmm. be a completist about, or you can also be like, which one should we watch tonight? This one sounds interesting. I think honestly, what you need for that is a uh, library. Like you need to build up episodes yes. and you need to have like a very long runway. And that is so rare now, both because of like the increased design, like the the sort of the way that people get canceled after two or three seasons by people networks. People get canceled. But the way shows get right. canceled after two or three seasons by networks and also because I think we're envisioning things as limited or a six to 10 episode season and this big movie star is going to be in it so they might not be able to start it again next fall. You know, like mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a thing of the past on streamers. I think in network, it obviously still happens. But um, if we could somehow combine some of the you know, personalized voice that you find on some streaming shows with the bones of some network shows. I think that would be really cool. I remember a couple of years ago, wasn't Sam Esmail like working yeah. on like a police procedural or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he filmed a pilot. It was for, ended up being for ABC and they didn't move forward. Okay. Um, I, I had two answers to that more specifically than... Um, than I want teens. Old guy wants yeah. teens on TV. Uh-huh. Um, let's move on from that take. Um, <laughs> one, I think, is almost impossible but I still wish it could be. And that is the season. This, the, it's an ongoing show, but each season is a specific job or project. And what I mean by that is I, I noticed recently that Prison Break is coming back. Mm-hmm. And Prison Break has a built-in problem, which is how many prisons can these dudes actually break out right. of? But the idea of a season-long heist or escape or you know Italian job, Ocean's Eleven type thing. Right is really appealing to me because I love that sort of storytelling. And in a way, if you squint, that was the narrative engine of The Wire too, which is each year we're going to look at a different part oh, of the Oh, the idea city of like having like a it, soft reset. And how it works. The reasons for not being able to sustain these are obvious. I mean, how many incredible season-sustaining ideas can one creative team have? Mm-hmm. And how can you bank on the potential of having multiple years to do it? And as soon as you have your main characters... Uh, who do who do crimes have a successful first season? All the pressure is on the creative team in almost no time to come up with one that equals it. So I, I understand, but I would love that idea, and I think it would age well on a streaming service. I will always be bummed out that the and that now it seems like a, a pretty pretty much a final verdict because there was some news about this a week or two ago, but that the Nick never got to oh yeah uh, explore the the studio space with the way that Steven Soderbergh had sort of envisioned a. They did two seasons of of the Clive Owen version of mm-hmm. it. They were going to do uh, two seasons, I believe, of a post-World War II hospital. Yeah, the original idea for the Nick was that it would be, the main character was the hospital, mm-hmm. and that they would revisit the hospital with a new cast in a different era. Yeah, and then there, then there would be a final fifth season that was like five minutes in the future of our present and include cast members from both versions of the Nick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't understand why we can't do this. Then Barry Jenkins was going to take over or not, or at least try to find a new way to do it. And that he and Andre Holland had come up with some idea, but Casey boys in his recent appearances, had said that like, they're not moving forward. But those scripts exist. Those ideas went places. I mean, it's funny. One of our, do you remember like right when I moved here in 2016, we went to the, uh, the Emmy part, HBO's Emmy party. I do remember that. And we stood awkwardly near George R.R. Martin. Yeah. We saw Jason Manzukas and we were like, boy, we're big fans of his. And he came over to us, which was so nice. Yeah. And we became friends. 
But also at that party, I saw Andre Holland and I was like, will you please give us more Nick, sir? And he was like, yes, I promise you. It's what I want to do. I, it's a bummer with all that good intention. Um, last thing on this question. Do you know what I miss? And I feel like this is a good thing to miss because I think development executives really miss it, which is I miss a workplace. Whether it's Mad Men or whether it's The Office or Parks and Rec, workplaces are good, good settings for television shows and are just so basic, like right down the middle DNA, like you understand uh, what you're getting and you want to be there for multiple seasons. And I would like to do that. I would like to do that. I think people got dazzled by the budgets and the storytelling potential of something like a succession, which is the rooms are sometimes going to be yachts and sometimes they're going to be in Dubrovnik and we can do anything anywhere. Even if it is still, you know, essentially a stage play within those walls. You know what? Let's get less ambitious. Here's my pitch right now. Anybody call me up. Yeah. It's called Work From Home. WFH. And it's about the one guy at the office who goes in every day. And it's just him looking at like the same basket of like corn nuts that have been sitting out in the break room for like. So it's twenty. And he does three zooms and he goes home. It's at 3 twenty-eight PM. days later, but super boring. <laughs> yeah, slow TV. I feel like this was pitched and sold in July twenty twenty. Yeah, and yeah. and didn't didn't make it to. Air. Um, a couple of new questions here to get off the TV stuff. So Ryozo asked, mm. would love to hear about your favorite books of this past year. And Riley McShane said, haven't heard much music talk in a while. Releases or new discoveries from this year that you would highlight? Also, thoughts on the current state of music journalism mm. or if y'all have left that part of your lives behind. I have left yeah. that part of my life behind. Right. I do have plenty of records from this year that I love. You make it sound like I have not left that part of my life behind and I still write for Pitchfork under a pseudonym. You don't? No. No, you're not handing out 7.6s like cupcakes? I mean, sometimes it does seem like Ian Cohen is just incepting our tastes uh-huh. from the last 30 years, but no. Uh, here's some records that I like from this year. You're going records before books. Yeah, because the books, okay. I have a really easy answer, which is that... But don't give it yet. Do music. Okay, music, I would say, in no particular order, spiritual cramp. On my list. <laughs> Thanks to you. <laughs> uh, self-titled LP just came out this past week. Yeah. And it rules. It's... Um, Michael Bingham, who's the singer for Spiritual Cramp, was just recently on Bandsplain talking about Rancid. Uh, they are fantastic. I, I, well, how would you describe them for a layman? It, it's hard to describe them because they do seem like this distillation of all the times punk and pop have gone out for a drink. Like over the but years. Not the, but not pop punk. But not pop punk, right. Like, 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 when, like when the clash went to Jamaica, but then also made a radio single. They play wiry punk rock that is very melodic. It's really good. Yeah, it's It's really good. Uh, Military Gun, I've I've, uh, spoused on this podcast before. Millspec, who just put out a record called Marathon a little recently. That's a little bit more on the melodic hardcore end of things. Andy and I talked about Hotline TNT earlier, which is kind of this shoegaze pop thing. And um, I also really like Magnitude, which is more more traditional hardcore high viz which is uh kind of like hardcore meets echo and the Bunnymen, and uh empty country which let's is let's talk about empty country sure you got me this is you and brian raftery turned me on to this group so this is uh, uh joseph d'agostino um who used to play guitar and sing and and write those songs for simple z guitars and simple z guitars is like one of my favorite bands of the last 
I don't know, 10 or 15 years. This is his sort of more solo project, and it's much more singer songwritery. I guess, would be the way to describe it. Um, but it's still very expansive, and in this record, particularly Empty Country 2, is pretty cinematic at times, and he has become one of the sort of my favorite lyric writers, and it's got this really keen eye for detail, and he's influenced and inspired by a lot of fiction writers that Andy and I yeah. love, like Joy Williams, uh, Richard Ford, Raymond Carver, like lots of lots of writers. So like, I don't know. I just, I really love this. I think if you, I mean, there's parts of it that remind me of Tom Petty or Bruce Springsteen. There's parts of it that remind me of Elliot Smith. There's parts of it that remind me of of like Philadelphia indie rock, like in the War on Drugs, Kurt Vile's zone. Yeah, but there's also this like Alex G fans will probably like this record. But there's also a kind of like expansive, expository, sing talking, proclaiming vibe that reminds me a little bit of um, a little Lou Reed, a little bit Robert Forster from the Go Betweens. Just like there's there's a there's a like a holy and important performance part with humor that I just I'm loving it. I think it's a great record. Go for it. I don't know. I'm gonna. Long-time listeners know I like to put out a playlist in December of my favorite stuff. So I'm not... Because it's talking about music is talking about music, uh-huh. you know? But... Um, and people should know that when we're not texting about um, Philadelphia sports agita, recently we've just been like, we've been, we've been digging in the crates. Yeah. Sending each other stuff. I try, I've tried sending you some Instagrams that I liked recently and I don't feel like I'm getting you a lot of uptake. This is Chris's <laughs> thing. So when he wasn't bragging about his fantasy team on Sunday... Uh, or talking about why Chili Crisp is overused. You were like, hey, how'd that feel? I sent you a reel the other day on DM. What'd you think about that? And I told you I thought about it. I wrote back LMAO. It was funny. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't going to like open up a new channel. Last night I texted you a whole a whole Instagram and I was like, damn, this thing is funny. Oh, I was asleep. Uh, it was. I, it said it to you like 8.30. 9.55. Okay. But, but Kaya, that- it's a guy who basically <laughs> goes to El Porto Beach and narrates like... What's up, fuckers? This is the worst beach in California. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you Funny. like speaking of expository, declarative things. Like, that's the kind of YouTube energy you like, or I've noticed. You know, you like people who are just like, "This is the best curry fries in <laughs> Dublin. This beach is shit." Like, you just like to have people tell you what's up. Yeah, I'm not going to El Porto or to Dublin to eat curry, but it's fun. It's fun to have that information. You respond. This is this is an interesting psychological examination of you because there's a part of you, a large part of you that listeners will recognize, which is in a zombie apocalypse, you are inevitably going to be the leader of some town. Yeah, but, which, which way we break is is a little bit difficult to determine. But you also do seem to like being told what to do when it comes time to like what you should eat out of a Dutch oven if an English lady is telling you to eat. It. You know what I mean? Like this is just there are there are two genders, I guess. Yeah. And one is this spag bowl. After, after my, a long day when I just can't be bothered. Just can't be bothered. Um, I'm going to just name some bands that I like a lot this year. Um, you mentioned a couple of them. Uh, Feeble Little Horse, The Tubs, Rap Boys. Mm-hmm. People who like melodic indie rock should listen to that Rap Boys record. It's really beautiful. Um, remember the other week when you were like, have you ever heard of Super Heaven? They're the biggest band, <laughs> shoegaze band well, of they the have 2010s. Like, yes, yeah. And I was like, not only have I not heard of them, I've not heard of the guy's new band, Webbed Wing. Yeah. But they rule. Yeah. It's fun discovering things. Um, Squirrel Flower. Really like the DJ Sabrina, the Teenage DJ record. You wouldn't like that. Is that, that. hyperpop? Yeah. It's like four hours of like mashed up um, early 2000s pop but with like Julia Louis-Dreyfus samples. Did you like Sleigh Bells? 
I think Sleigh Bells have made like six of the best songs of the last 20 years, <laughs> but they have made 400 songs. Okay. Do you know what I mean? They're, yeah. for me, very indicative of how I started listening to music when Spotify came along. Because pre-Spotify, you and I would be like, here is an LP that I enjoy. Track eight is of particular interest, but right. it's really worth it only if you listen to the first seven tracks. And now I'm like, I love this band based on three minutes and 30 seconds <laughs> and the rest is shit. <laughs> so maybe we're the problem. Yeah. Maybe we're the problem. Give me your books. Remember, remember the other week when you were like, you spotted me just sipping a Cortado in the late morning I, sun? I do remember this. I reading. was like, this guy's not stressed out enough. <laughs> <laughs> um... Re, uh, that was before uh, we had a speaker of the house who monitors this. I think I was intake. trying. <laughs> I was trying. I was like in my mind at that day. I was like, I'm trying to keep all the timelines of Loki separate. <laughs> yeah, I was reading an Italian book from 1973 that uh, a loyal listener identified. It's called "Last Summer in the City" by Gianfranco Caligaric. Great book. I've also speaking of speaking of psychological investigations into the two of us. This has been a year where I've been reading like great great novels of suburban malaise mm -hmm. of the 20th century. Like I read, just really powered through Revolutionary Road. That's oh, a, yeah. Did you? Yeah. How'd that, how that feel? You know, it's not, it's not like a lot of lulls. Yeah. Um, but that's an amazing book. And have you ever read Appointment at Samara by John O'Hara? I haven't. That's also real good. It, one of the most interesting things about it, it's set in Prohibition, and it's set in a fictional Pottstown, Pennsylvania, <laughs> which seems to be like a hotbed of culture and Cadillacs uh -huh. and people just like dancing till five in the morning while drinking bathtub gin. Pottstown. <laughs> this, this used to be I a real I can't say that I've country. ever been to Pottstown. I feel like you've been to Pottstown if you haven't been to Maybe Pottstown. Maybe I played like a travel baseball oh, here, game. Here we go. <laughs> they, have, they have a plaque. Chris blocked the plate here. Boldly he sacrificing like a, his body. He just moved the runners right here. Uh, Peter Hankey's short letter, Long Farewell. I just read. Um, when people are like, Andy doesn't yeah. like TV anymore. He doesn't watch any. It's because like, you're reading. Yeah, because I'm reading like. You're reading about Pottstown. <laughs> you ever grab some stuff? Chris, just a couple of guys here just talking sports and New York Review of Books reissues. <laughs> you ever pick up one of those New York Review of Books reissues and I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this guy, but it says he won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Like, that's how I found Patrick Modiano, one of my favorite writers. So I was like, cool, I'll read this short letter, Long Farewell. It's a pretty weird book about a German guy staying in hotels on the East Coast in the 70s and kind of like staring out the window and J-O-ing a lot. And uh -huh. that's great. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, I'd like to know more about this writer. And the first hit is a magazine article being like, the problematic Bosnian politics of Peter Hank. It was just like, when he wasn't writing novels, he was going to Slobodan Milosevic's trial and being like, I stand with you always, my Free brother. Slurby? Yeah. That's a wild thing. Yeah. Yeah, you got to watch out for those European guys. <laughs> they really... They're politically committed. They surprise you. For me, I've been in a prison of my own design with mm. Len Dighton for most of the year. I love that. I love Len uh, Dighton. So I, I highly recommend City of Gold and Mamista, uh, which are two, two kind of like... I would say City of Gold, if you liked Rogue Heroes, City of Gold is essentially the novel of Rogue Heroes. And uh, for Mamista, that is about uh, a revolution happening in a Latin American country. I have, if you're talking Dighton, can I just make one more plug for the um, game set and matchbooks? Mm -hmm. Like he's one of the great. In addition to being just one of the great, I don't, popular I fiction say those writers, are not my favorite Dightons. That's interesting. Yeah. I, so he I wrote, don't know why, but I, I've never been like the Bernard Sampson books have not really turned me on. I went off on those. If you like spy fiction, these are not. And you know, there's like another trilogy. Oh, I've read, <laughs> I've read three trilogies about Bernard Sampson yeah. written by Len Dighton. 
I finally stopped when I got to the 10th book, Winter, the Story of a German Family. It's like 900 pages about Bernard Samson's wife's ancestors. That was enough for me. But but um, the Game Set Match trilogy, if you've read Le Carre, it is not Le Carre, but it is, it'll is it'll hit similar pleasure centers. All right. There's a guy I want to just shout out who I'm, I'm going to butcher the name. It's Yuris Yurovit Jurjevich. What did he think about Milosevic? He wrote two novels about Vietnam, Red Flags and Play the Red Queen, which is his posthumous novel. Uh, I think one was written in like the early 2000s. The other was like 2010 or 11. And they are basically like espionage mysteries set during the early 60s in the Vietnam War, which I, I've been enjoying those books quite a bit. I'm sorry for mispronouncing his name, which I probably did. And then Zach Barron recently turned me on to this book called The Devil Makes Three by uh, Ben Fountain, who wrote Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk, um, which I just started, and that's about Haiti. So mm. It was that he didn't drop that in the sports thread. <laughs> <laughs> can I? Can we just while we're talking about books, this this does tie back into TV. That there was, you know how we listen, sound so much more invigorated. I'm so excited um, that uh, I'm always learning new things about you because you have so much free time and you yeah. just casually refer to things that you do. I got you back. You learned something about me the other day, which is when you learned that I've read every book by Brett Easton Ellis. Oh yeah, that was really weird. You were like, you sent me a. Picture of the shards, yeah, and you were yeah. like, "It's on, baby!" I'm back. <laughs> I was like, "Why?" I was like, "1983, let's go, <laughs> let's do it again." Bee, I'm. You he- haven't gone in his podcast. I haven't been invited. Okay. Um, I I only go on uh, Veep rewatch podcasts. Okay, <laughs> tell um, me about that experience. How was it? Well, let me just say on the the shards topic. Um, I think I may have I may be tapped out. What do you mean? It's not good. Um. Do you do you ever notice this? Like when you read writers, especially like established writers, that you can there's a chance that maybe they weren't super edited. Uh-huh. Like when the same word appears three times in a paragraph or like the same information is given you to you twice in a chapter. And when that information is the, I believe at this point, fourth slightly fictionalized retelling of his high school years, I think I tapped out. Okay. That said, Luca Guadagino, the great filmmaker, is adapting the shards for HBO. Is he really? And I am. All the way. <laughs> I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled about that. But I, I just feel like I'm curious if the uh, um, the other like rules of attraction heads are finding more in the shards than I did. How was my experience on another podcast? Yeah, you reached that. Yeah, you know, it was. It I felt really welcomed. You know, I felt like free to. Well, they be were my, lavishing you with praise. That's true. Yeah, that's always a good way to this start. Is Matt Walsh and, and, and Tim it's called Second in Command. I was I had a great time with those guys. Uh, I felt I felt really free to be myself. Mm-hmm. You know in a way that was unfamiliar. Like but you also didn't have to watch anything for that podcast. <laughs> it was so great because I, I guess they'll pivot again, but on that podcast, Matt Walsh and, and our buddy Tim Simons rewatch the show they were on Veep, but during the SAG strike, they couldn't promote Veep. So their podcast pivoted to a pretty groundbreaking uh, format where they were re-listening to their own podcast. So all I had to do to was listen to one podcast, episode. one podcast episode about an episode of Veep that I hadn't seen since 2011. So you had to cut away from from Parent Corner on Bill Simmons to, to listen to this. I I I, I did. I, yeah. I skipped a couple Parent Corners to find time to do it, and I'm here to tell you there is only a small amount of truth to the fact that you weren't invited because you didn't have Tim on the Black Hat Rewatchables. I, I, I assume that that's the case, even if he says it's not. Uh, I noticed that that was like, it was a very podcast studio-y vibe. Like you guys were drinking Liquid Death. It was on ca- I was not prepared for it to be on camera. I'm yeah. not used to that. I know. You, you're a little bit touchy about that. 
Well, I I, I have, just assume I'm always on camera, you know, I, like just in terms of surveillance. I have it in my contract that I get I get HMU. <laughs> what is that? Hair and makeup. <laughs> Kaya, Kaya knew. Kaya knew. She's nodding. She knew. Um, you give me the next question here in the document that you'd like to hit on. This is great because I think you that was a test to see if I have the document. I know you do, which I do. Um, oh, I thought this. Thank you for giving me this one. I love this one. This is a question from uh, Stephen Lurie. At Lurie the Real. I don't know if Rod Lurie agrees with that. Um, a lost part of the streaming era is the shot and chaser of TV. Mm-hmm. I think this is a brilliant concept. The heavy one-hour drama followed by a 30-minute comedy. But most algorithms will suggest something similar to what you just watched, not opposite for what you should watch next. Yes, there's no sense of programming. I love this point. So what the question is, what's your iconic shot plus chaser? And shouldn't streamers try these combos? Let me say... Streamers should try these combos. That is so wild to me. And it's such a great point that when you finish watching 58 minutes of post-apocalyptic whatever, you don't want to watch 57 more minutes of post-apocalyptic whatever. And yet, that is just what um, most streamers would suggest for you. Well, what they want is for you to start the next episode of the thing you're watching, right? Yeah, but there's the long bar underneath some that's like, you might also like the comes yes. up. I think that I've gotten, I've started thinking more and more about the UX of these things. I, I love CR's this UX for you. corner. This is so good. The other day I was on Max and I was looking for Hitchcock movies. Okay. Because I was thinking about David Fincher. Uh, Sean and I have been talking about The Killer, and um, Fincher is a big talking head in the uh, Hitchcock Truffaut documentary that they mm-hmm. made about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he does it, him and Scorsese and Wes Anderson and Olivia Sayas talk about it. And his like fascination with Hitchcock was sparking something in me. So I was like, well, you know, I know that Max has a lot of them because of the Turner Classic mm-hmm. Movies library. And you can't really search by Hitchcock. I mean, you can, but it doesn't have the elegant, like, yes. you click on his name and all the films that he directed are like listed. And I was like, truly, is that that expensive to develop? Like that technology? And as a secondary thought, when I read this question, I was like, wouldn't it be kind of easy if they wanted to, to just be like, it's Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. You turn on Max, you turn on Peacock, you turn on whatever. Mm-hmm. And they suggest, it's Tuesday night. Here is our suggested evening of viewing. Ah. And it's mm-hmm. drama 30-30 or whatever. Uh-huh. So why can't they do that? Like, that's not, you don't have to make anything else. You don't have to do anything other than just do a little, a little box that's like, if you're sitting down at 8.30 p.m. to watch something, here's 90 minutes of TV to watch. I think there's a couple, it's an interesting idea. I think that they do, to a degree, attempt such a thing around the holidays, right? Like, they will group horror-themed stuff around Halloween or right. holiday movies. I think in terms of a night to night, that to me strikes me as just like, that's a job they don't want to create or pay for. It's just a creative curatorial job that does not seem to be the mission. Like people, there's lots of jobs at those places. That's really a job that they're like, they draw the line at that one. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of think the answer to that is yes. Um, But I think the, I'm completely with you on how frustrating it is that you can't search a filmmaker on some of these sites or it's not easily grouped together. Or even like a TV writer or whatever, you know, it doesn't even have to be, we could be one or the other. I I think that there is a reading of that that is nefarious, but I think the real reading of it is actually just very corporate and bottom line, 
which is to say content ebbs and flows on these services, you know, based on licensing agreements. Um, famously, like the Harry Potter's movie, the Harry Potter movie, like movies, they switch from Peacock to Max every 18 months, like the like some sort of trophy in a longstanding college rivalry. It's just bizarre. So I think the goal for these services are internally is that they want you to think of them as the place where you can find a lot of this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but they want to diminish the specificity of it. Because if you begin to think of it as the place where you can find Alfred Hitchcock movies, well, there might be a time when they don't have them anymore. Right. And then that said, what they are doing with groupings is hideous. I mean, it is so... I, do you mind me infringing on your UX corner? No, go ahead. I, I logged on to the Mac service recently as well and decided to just scroll down. And one thing that they've done, which is absolutely boneheaded, was that on HBO Max, there were just there were uh, tiles easily accessible that were like Miyazaki movies, Studio Ghibli movies, yeah. that DC, TCM. To find the thing that's Turner Classic Movies now is almost impossible. It's, they've simplified it to the point of abstraction where there's just stuff. Mm-hmm. And instead of having like a thing that I actually know I want to look for or self-select into a more limited choice of things I might like, you have categories. I mean, I think they're probably different for everyone, but heroes on their own terms was one category that it suggested for me. <laughs> and instead of it just being a portrait of myself. <laughs> do you want to know what the first three movies in Heroes on Their Own Terms was? I sure fucking do. American Sniper. Uh-huh. <laughs> Suicide Squad. And Joker. So, Casey, if you're still listening to this episode, someone at your company thinks I've been red-pilled? Yeah, right. I guess. I did send this to you, and speaking of texts that didn't get replies, or even an LMAO, uh, the first movie suggested under the heading Dynamic Duos was White Chicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you work with the team you got. You know what I mean? It's just like, White I, Chicks is kind of like throwing Nick Batum out there instead of James Harden. It's just like, that's what came back in the trade. I would much rather have Nick Batum than James Harden. <laughs> but also... That, you know, that's a terrible analogy because Nick Batum is a complimentary piece as opposed to White Chicks. I'm just saying that's what's you know, in their library. You know what I mean? But w- w- I bet there's other dynamic duos in the Max library that they probably could have picked. But yeah. some people like White Chicks. After the Thrones, for yeah. example. That's in the library. <laughs> Casey, holler at us. But that, That's in the Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse. <laughs> genuinely, genuinely, genuinely. When HBO Max launched, the conversation around it was partly oh, here are the HBO shows. But that wasn't the conversation because we knew how to find HBO shows. The conversation was, wow, this is a pretty deep bench of content with all of these Turner movies and all this other stuff. It seems almost willfully obtuse that Max's new brand is a big bucket of shit. (laughs) Like that is just such a weird way to present something that still has good content. And that is what they're putting forward. We're clearly like, if you guys... If you guys think that we're done with podcasting, we've only just begun <laughs> to get into the wild and rangy world of UX. Um, I think we have time. Oh, we didn't answer the question. Oh, yeah. I This is easy for me. It's 2015 when they used to go Thrones Veep on HBO. Yeah. That's, that, that's the... That's Shot Chaser. Yeah. Thrones... But just that... There were two models... There were two... Com- probably the two most celebrated um, networks for being programmers, for being curators were the best at this. And it was um, Sunday nights on HBO, mm-hmm. which often had the drama of the moment with the comedy of the moment, and they cycled through. Um, sometimes it was Veep, sometimes it's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Girls. Uh, Girls was in that slot yeah. for a while. 
um, or NBC Thursday Nights, which reversed it. And it was comedy, 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 the best drama on TV. Right. So that classic, and the, the, the 8.30 and 9.30s were always a little bit in flux. But those years when you had, um, yeah, I mean, from when we were growing up and you had uh, uh, Friends and ER to later when you had um, The Office and mm-hmm. Parks and Rec. And what was the Thursday night drama back then? <laughs> I just walked myself into that corner. <laughs> yeah, I saw you. I was like, geez. I was like, Andy, go back over here. <laughs> uh, what was the what was the cop one with like Michael Beach? It was just like it was about ambulance drivers. <laughs> that was on Thursdays. So I'm gonna go with Thrones and Veep. Yeah, I Thrones and Veep right. is probably the all timer. Um, look, we got time for about one more, I think, and it's what everybody wants to know. It's called Third Watch, buddy. Third Watch. This is from Doris Levine. Has Andy caught up on the new season of Bluey? If so, thoughts on the return of Unicorns? Mm-hmm. Um, is that wanna... a unicorn that's also a horse? I thought that that was already in in play. Uh, un... <laughs> in play in, let, in that it's um, <laughs> self evident. Uh, longtime watchers of Bluey will know that that Unicorse is a uh, puppet character that the father Bandit performs that has a uh, has a catchphrase mm-hmm. has a very annoying catchphrase. What is it? And why should I care? That's it. Mm-hmm. That's that's your catchphrase. <laughs> Literally my motto. That's my yearbook quote. Oh my god, rear. do your daughters say that? Uh they love it. They love but like it. if you're like, hey, can you clean up your room? It really would mean a lot to me. No, they usually just glare at me and stomp out. Okay. They don't need a catchphrase. <laughs> they are pure vibes. You know? Also, they weren't they were they were in solidarity with the striking writers. They weren't doing dialogue. Hey, so but, but, what happens if they yeah. grow out of Bluey and you're still into it? This is actually. Will the, you be yeah. watching Bluey on your own? It's the inverse of what happened. To answer the question, I have not seen the new Unicorns episode, and I've only seen a few of the recently. They put up the back half of the new season because the children have become self-aware and they just watch them all themselves as soon as they came out, and they only, left you behind. Yes, and yeah. it, it's kind of what happened when I was reading Harry Potter to my older daughter. Like they just raced past me. So. They are always willing to watch more television. That is not an issue. Right. But they do not stand on ceremony and wait for me anymore. So I'm behind. I am not yet that guy watching Blue. Will you and your daughters water. be watching The Curse? What do you think? <laughs> a couple things on that. They are my staunchest defenders in the I don't actually look like Nathan Fielder uh, sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. They do not, do not like that comparison. Okay. That said, as longtime listeners know, my younger daughter loved it when I happily started to pose for a picture with a guy uh, <laughs> only to discover that he was... He thought he was taking a picture with Nathan Phil. She loved that. Yeah. But but otherwise, no, they're on my team. We have a very exciting next couple of weeks. Uh, I forgot to mention that we also have Fargo and Slow Horses coming back mm-hmm. imminently. So we have, we have quite a full dance card. Um, there was one last question here from Allison. Uh, if I've been slacking on my watching lately, what's a good gateway show from the past few months to reawaken my TV watching brain? I didn't prep you for this. No. But I was kind of curious whether you had an answer off the top of your head. The the new season of Bluey? Yeah. You, you, do you not want that? Would you say Nada is like, would you say Drops of God? Would you say... I, the, the reason why... E2 Lessons of Chemistry? <laughs> the reason why this is a challenge is this is built into this question and answer is the sort of the 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 lack the black hole at the center of the pod for the last few weeks is that I can't point to a show 
that said that will that I have confidence will reignite someone's love for the medium at the moment. I have recommended everything you just mentioned, the gold, nada, particularly, but the gold, but that's not the same as it was last summer when we were like, hey, check out the bear. Or even, you know, I, I have when, you know, not as super plugged in people have asked me for a show and I say reservation dogs yeah. and they're delighted, right. just delighted. Um, and I feel confident that that is an, a, a safe recommendation for people because what I think when they're asking for is like, remind me how exciting this medium can be. You know, give yeah. me something that I'm not, that doesn't f- fall easily into something that I already assume. And I don't, what would your answer be? I don't have a single show at this moment. We have plenty in the library. Yeah, I think Reservation Dogs, if you haven't seen it, is a great, you you can watch those three seasons pretty easily. I think that. that, that yeah, I think Reservation Dogs is a remarkably evergreen recommendation yeah. for people because almost everyone who encounters it falls in love with it. And then after that, I think I would probably go with I, I would probably go with the gold. I think the gold is is kind of like a very modern kind of like it's a British show, but it's on an, this American streaming service. It tells a serialized story, but has like thrills that go almost episodically. It's a mystery, but not really. It's funny, but it's dramatic. I mean, I think that the gold is it's also like. Not a huge time investment. It's like you could do that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, but not to start off a whole other tangent, but when I've mentioned that to people, they say, what is it on? And I say Paramount. And they say, oh, I'm not. That hasn't made my, that's not on my queue. Well, you're obviously not talking to enough Taylor Sheridan show fans in your daily life. I've had to lose some friends over the last few months <laughs> and years. <laughs> the conversation, I'm worried at Thanksgiving, the conversation is going to be all about Lawman oh, yeah. Bass Reeves. That's and I'll right. be like, not at dinner. <laughs> No Sheridan at dinner. Thank you to Kaya for producing us. Thank you to everybody for listening, for writing in questions. I decided to make that a little bit more general and then a non-TV because we'll be doing so much TV on Monday. So, Wow. That's just professional. Yeah. That's uh, the medium that you truly love, podcasting. We will be back on Monday with The Curse and Loki and Rob Harvilla. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Andy? Happy 804 episodes, Bransky's. Here's to 804 more. 